Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Amber Brzezicki. Amber is a registered nurse, online fitness coach, wife, and mom of four. Her business, Biceps After Babies, focuses on helping women create a customized fitness plan that's both effective and enjoyable by utilizing the tool of macro counting. In the episode, Amber shares why everyone can benefit from at least two weeks of macro counting, some of the most common mistakes people make when counting macros, her thoughts on strength training versus cardio, and more. Before we get to the episode, I have a question for you. Are you a wine lover like me? If you answered yes, I have another question for you, which is, do you know what's actually in the wine you're drinking? Your answer is that you probably don't, because if you take a look at the back of any wine bottle, you're not going to be able to find ingredients or nutrition facts. Alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post these labels, which is how they're able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, one of my favorite companies, Dry Farm Wines, has come to our rescue. Their natural wines are lab-tested to ensure that they're not only sugar-free, but also lower in sulfites and alcohol. Every single bottle of Dry Farm wine is also made with organic grapes, free from all industrial additives, and fermented with 100% wild native yeast. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wines, the conventional wines, even the top-rated ones, give me headaches and just make me feel overall gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you are going to be immediately hooked by two things. First, their outstanding products, as I mentioned, and second, their incredible customer service. I honestly don't think I've ever interacted with employees who are kinder or more helpful than the ones who work at Dry Farm Wines. To get a bottle of natural wine for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash the health investment. One more thing, if you've been enjoying what you hear on the health investment podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write an Apple podcast review. Reviews not only provide me with great feedback, but they also help the podcast gain traction and get discovered by new listeners. To leave a review, you could just scroll down in Apple Podcasts and tap the star rating and then write a little description, or I've made it easy for you, and you can visit thehealthinvestment.com slash review. Once you go to that webpage, I give you step-by-step instructions, so don't worry if you feel intimidated. I'll explain everything to you at thehealthinvestment.com slash review. It only takes about five minutes to leave an Apple podcast review, and I truly can't thank you enough for your support. All right, let's hear from Amber. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. 
If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Amber. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. We're going to have a fun conversation. I know. I can't wait. We got all the tech stuff figured out, all the stuff people don't see behind the scenes. Hallelujah. When you just have your headset in and you're trying to connect with somebody across the country and tech doesn't want you to do that. Yeah. Where are you calling from, by the way? Uh, I'm in Southern California, about 10 minutes from Disneyland. Oh, really? Okay, cool. My parents have a house in San Clemente. Oh, yep. In Orange County. So we're in Orange County as well. Yeah. And then I'm up in Oakland. So did not realize you were also in California. And my parents are in the Bay Area too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So close to us. How fun. Well, awesome. Great to have you here. And I know you had also posted, um, I think on Mother's Day, that you're the eldest of seven kids, which my husband is also the eldest of seven, which I think is a very rare. It's unusual. Yeah. So I was really intrigued by that. And is your husband, does he come from a big family as well? No, he's the oldest. We're both, so we're both the oldest, but he's the oldest of three boys. Okay, got it. Because I'm an only child, so oh gosh, it's, it's really fun. I love it. And he's also he has five brothers, and then the youngest is a sister. Oh fun! Um, so it's six boys and then a girl. So it's a kind of a fun dynamic, but everybody's friendly and close. Um, I just I mean I know you have you have four kids, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have a big family as well. But I think big families are a lot of fun. But I just I can't imagine raising seven kids. Right. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. My mom so, was a rock star. Exactly. Yeah. Kudos to my in-laws and to your parents as well. Uh, so I'd love if you could just start by sharing your story and specifically what led you to start Biceps After Babies. Yeah. So I always like to tell people that I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I think mm-hmm sometimes people grow up and they're like, I want to start my own business. And they like are like five years old and they're out like selling candy bars or like hustling at like elementary school. And that was not me. I um, had in my mind that like entrepreneurship was really risky and I'm very risk adverse. uh, Security is one of my like highest values. (laughs) And so my dad who worked in corporate America always kind of pushed all seven of us to go into entrepreneurship. I think because he kind of wished he was an entrepreneur, but he always wanted us to like start our own business as a teenager. We were like, oh, let's, we're going to get a summer job. And he's like, no, you should, you should window wash for the summer. You should like start a window washing business. And I'm like, no, dad, that's like scary. (laughs) I don't want to do like, I just want to like show up, put in my time and like get paid. That's all I want to do. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. And, um, but one thing that I did love was science and health and fitness. And so during college that took me into the field of nursing and I got my bachelor's degree in nursing. And I loved that because I loved anatomy and physiology. That was really, really fun for me. And, um, I worked as a nurse for a couple of years while my husband was attending medical school and that worked really well. I was able to put him through medical school, but the moment that he hit residency, 
Um, anybody who's listening, who's ever had a loved one go through medical training, residency Mm -hmm. is really busy. And my husband went from, you know, going to school from like nine to five to like working 80 hours a week over the weekends, nights, like crazy schedule. And it just wasn't realistic for me to do nursing anymore. We had two kids by that, that Mm. point. And, uh, it just didn't really work out for me to, to stay in the workforce. And so, uh, that was when I made my shift over to, uh, more of the fitness area. And I started teaching fitness classes, uh, group fitness classes at the YMCA and at 24 hour fitness. And I did that for, um, about eight years and, Mm. uh, January 1st of 2016, I set a goal and my goal was to get a six pack. I don't know where that goal came from. It just was like, I think it would be cool to have a six pack. (laughs) I'm going to set that as my goal. That was my new year's resolution. And about that time I had found this thing that was a lot, a lot more niche than it is now called macro counting. Mm. And I was like, this, this, this is scientifically sound. (laughs) Like coming Mm. from my scientific background, my like nutrition background, I'm like, this is actually like scientifically sound. It makes sense. I'm going to try this out on myself. And so I started an Instagram account. And I needed to come up with a name for said Instagram account. And I remember sitting in my front, my front yard in my car, in my van, because I have four kids and you spend so much time in your van <laughs> as a mom of four kids. But I was in my front, my, my uh, driveway. I was sitting, the car was off. I was on my phone and I was like scrolling through Instagram and it like literally hit me. I like divine inspiration, biceps after babies. Uh- and I feel like, I'm not, I I don't identify as a creative person in general. And I feel like that was the most creative thing I've ever done in my life was come up with that name. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But when I thought of that name, I was like, yes, that's it. I want to like show moms specifically women in general, but moms specifically that, you know, your fittest days don't have to be behind you, that Mm -hmm. you can have biceps after having babies, right? That you can, you can get fit and have whatever you want after having babies that it doesn't have to all end, you know, the first time someone calls you mom. And so I started that Instagram account just to kind of share what I was learning, share my experience of my New Year's resolution. And uh, people started following and hmm. being interested and asking me questions. And very, very quickly after starting that account, the first person reached out to me and was like, will you coach me? And hmm. I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> sure, that sounds fun. <laughs> okay, (laughs) let's do this. Uh, And that turned into a business. And so uh, I say I'm an accidental entrepreneur. It was never my intention to like grow a business, Uh, but it has been one of the most fun and the most rewarding things that I have ever done. And I definitely identify as an entrepreneur now, Uh, but that, that was the start. That was the start of Biceps After Babies. I love the name. It's so clever. And I just love plays on words and, you know, alliteration and things like that. I used to be an English teacher, uh, but I had told my husband that I was going to interview you and we were at his work happy hour last week and somebody asked if I'd interviewed anybody cool on the podcast. So I was thinking of people I'd already interviewed and mm-hmm. he chimed in, what about that woman next week? What's it? Tell that, tell everybody her handle. And he's just, <laughs> he is equally as proud of your Instagram handle. So you should know that. <laughs> Definitely the most creative thing I've ever done. That's what I like. It was there. That was it. All of my creativity was used up in that name. <laughs> as you know, because my signature program is macros 101. It's like the most boring name ever. Like I, <laughs> had no creativity left. 
after I came that's up it. with that name. Well, that's good because that name can bring people in and then they can learn more <laughs> oh. about you. Uh, so you say in your profile, still to this day, I think you're obviously very interested in macros and you say that you've turned dieters intro into macro scientists. So I'd love if you could just elaborate more on what that means. I'm sure obviously it means so, so much, but what's the gist of that term? Yeah. Yeah. And I think to understand that, and I'm sure we're going to get into this deeper um, as we go through the interview. So I'm going to just kind of hit some of the highlights uh, and then we can dive deeper into some of these ideas. Um, But, you know, I, I gloss over this idea of of macro counting, and that may not be a, a familiar term as much as I'm engrossed in it all day long. And I'm like, oh yeah, everybody knows what macro counting is. There's still lots of people who have no idea what I said, what I meant when I said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's cool. So I just want to take a moment and just kind of outline what when I say macro counting, um, what that term means, and even more specifically what. I mean when I say it, because what I mean when I say it is not the same as what other people mean when they say it. So we'll kind right. of dive into that a little bit. Um, but in in the broadest sense, uh, macros uh, is identifying and, and paying attention to the amount of carbs, fat, and protein that somebody is eating. So most people have an understanding of what calories are, right? We've been taught calories for a lot of our life. You can look on a package and you can see how many calories are in that item. What most people don't understand is that those calories come from three unique parts of our food. So fat gives our food calories, protein gives our food calories, and carbohydrates give our food calories. And each of those macronutrients do something slightly different in the body. So protein does something a little bit different than what fat does, than what carbohydrates do. And the most important thing to understand here is that we need all of them. Each of them has a unique role that can't really be filled by the other macronutrients as well as they can by by each of the individual macronutrients. So in the broadest sense, we can understand we need a little bit of all of them. And at the same time, we don't need too much of any one, right? We need a, a balance of them. We need enough to be able to fuel our body and to be able to do what we need to do, but we don't need too much of them uh, or else then we start having problems with having too much caloric intake. So it's a balance. And what macro counting as a tool allows you to do is allows you to help to find that balance. And, uh, and when you're paying attention to the amount of macronutrients that you are taking in and being aware of that, it, it does, it brings an awareness and understanding of nutrition and of food and what your body needs in a world where people don't have a whole lot of understanding about nutrition, about portion sizes, uh, about you know, fueling their body in a way that helps them to feel good and helps them to perform well. And so in the broadest sense, macro counting is a tool that allows you to find that balance of having enough of all of the essential macronutrients while not having too much of any, any one of them. Hmm. So that was a great description. (laughs) Okay. So then, so now we know what macro counting is. So in my, in my, um, handle. And in my description, I talk about turning dieters into macro scientists. And this is where we get into that second part that I was talking about, about how I work with macro counting, how I teach macro counting, which may be different from many other coaches. And one of the things that I think is really important is that um, macro counting can be turned into a diet, just Mm -hmm. like so many other diets. And when I say diet, what I mean is um, something where there is a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. Like there's a list of rules and like 
this is the way that you're supposed to follow those rules. This is the right way to follow it. This is the wrong way to follow it. And um, macro counting often gets turned into that. It gets turned into this diet where it's like, okay, this is the right way to track your food and this is the wrong way. And this is, if you hit your macros, that's good. And if you don't hit your macros, that's bad. And it just rolls into this diet mentality that that so many people bring into it from their past experiences with, with dieting. Um, and I always like to say that macro counting is a tool mm-hmm. and just like a hammer, a hammer is a tool and I can use a hammer and I can use it to build a house right? So that hammer is really good because it helps me build the house. I can also use that hammer to tear down a house. Like that hammer is really bad, right? Because I'm tearing down a house. But in reality, the hammer isn't really good or bad. Like the hammer is just a hammer and how you wield it matters more than what it actually is. And that's where I, that's where I come from um, with macro counting is that, you know, macro counting is a tool. Can you turn it into a diet and use it in a way that's punitive and restrictive? Absolutely. And I see it all the time in the industry of people doing that. But does mm-hmm. that mean that's how it has to be? Absolutely not. And so what I like to do with my clients is I turn them from that dieting mentality, that rules, that restriction, that like, this is the way to do it. And if you hit, don't hit your macros, then you're bad. I help them to start to get curious and turn them into a macro scientist so that they understand macros, they understand the manipulation, and it comes from a place of empowerment rather than a place of restriction when they are aligning their food choices with their goals. I love that. So do you recommend then macro counting for everyone, or is it really for someone with a goal like getting stronger or losing weight? Yeah, it's a great question. I think everybody in the world would benefit from tracking their macros for two weeks, just mm-hmm. in general, just just as like an awareness piece, mm-hmm. um, not trying to manipulate anything, just opening your eyes to what you're already consuming. Because the truth is, whether or not you're paying attention to it, you're consuming macros. Like, right. Even if you're not counting them, you're consuming them. And most of us don't have an awareness of what we're actually consuming. And so I think there is incredible value in just paying attention to what you are consuming over a two-week basis and tracking it and starting to realize, hey, I didn't realize when the cereal box said three-fourths of a cup was a serving that that is like zero cereal and that I'm actually eating like three servings. Not that that's good or bad. It just brings awareness to understanding portion sizes the food that you're eating, um, you know, amount of protein that you're consuming in a day. And so in those terms, yes, I think everybody would value benefit from tracking their macros. Again, I'm not talking about manipulating anything. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you have to like try to hit any numbers. I'm just saying bringing awareness to what you're already consuming. Now, when we use macro counting as a tool, then it is a tool in order to uh, create a transformation or to change a body composition. So mm-hmm. if you're not someone who wants to change your body composition in any way, um, you may not have a reason to use macro counting as a tool. Um, but if you're wanting to lose fat, if you're wanting to gain muscle, um, even if you're wanting to have performance goals, uh, so maybe even it's not an aesthetic goal, but for example, I did competitive powerlifting for a while and I tracked macros during that time, not because I was trying to make my body smaller, but actually because I was trying to make my body bigger and I was trying to make sure that I had enough of the fuel that I needed to be able to get through my workouts and be able to perform at the highest level. So my answer to that question would be if you have a specific 
goal, whether it's aesthetic or performance, uh, then you would be well served to make sure that the food that you're art that you're eating, you're eating every day, regardless of if you're tracking or not, to make sure that that food you're eating is actually in support of of that goal. If you don't have an aesthetic goal, if you don't have a performance goal, um, I think bringing awareness to what you're eating is valuable. But I don't think you need to get into the terms of like manipulation and and um, you know trying to hit certain numbers. Right. Is there a basic kind of ratio that serves most people well when it comes to macros? So I hesitate to answer this question um, with an exact answer because, um, first of all, the body doesn't see percentages. Uh Um, It sees actual total amounts. And we're going to go back to the I like metaphors. We're going to go back to the metaphor of like the hammer and the, and the house. Um, you know, if you're on a work site, if there's like a general contractor on a work site and they're going to build a house, the general contractor never says, okay, you know, 40% of the material that we purchase needs to be, you know, wood mm-hmm. <laughs> and 20% needs to be the cabinets. Like you don't ever say it in percentages. You're like, I need 140 like two by fours. Mm -hmm. I need this amount of, you know, cabinets. Uh, And it's the same way with our body um, that our body sees things in, in actual amounts and not in percentages. And so the reason that I hesitate to give actual percentages is because if somebody is under eating, I I get clients all the time coming to me eating 900 calories. Now, if you're trying to split 900 calories and give 40% of that to let's say carbs, um, and you know, 20% of that to fat, you may very well be under eating on fat. Whereas if I have someone who's eating 2000 calories and they're eating 20% of their calories to fat, they may not be under eating on fat. And so you have to recognize that it's all relative based on the amount of calories you're consuming. And that's why I really teach and educate people to look at the amounts that they're eating rather than the percentage of the total calories. Oh, okay. So then is there an amount that serves everyone well of each one or? Yeah, that's, that's a much better question. So uh, okay. uh, um, I would say typically I don't like to set clients lower than 40 grams per fat or 40 grams of fat total. Um, especially females, uh, fat is really important for hormone production. And when you're going too low on fat, you have issues with can have issue with hormone production and actually uh, make it harder for you to lose fat um, because uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I like to have clients above a hundred grams of protein mm-hmm. um, and a lot to allow for having enough um, of the building blocks to be able to build and repair muscle and ligament tissue. Um, and then carbs are really unlimited. I like to say no lower than a hundred. Like I don't mm-hmm. like to go my clients to go up below a hundred, but there's really no like limit on the amount of carbs that our bodies can handle. And um, you know, when I was bulking and really trying to put on muscle, I was eating 300 plus grams of carbs per day. Um, so it's more of like a lower limit I, uh, with with most of those. I see. Uh, so then, what would you say are some of the most common mistakes people make when they're counting macros. Yeah. So I think number one, and we kind of already highlighted this as they turn it into a diet, which is totally understandable because for most people, that's what they're used to, right? They've, they've done, they've done the diet before where you like, okay, I'm going to be doing this diet. And the first thing you do is you like, look up what that diet is and how to, how to make sure you're doing the diet. Um, and you know, it's like you you do to do whole 30. Okay, cool. Let's like go look and see what, what is the okay food to eat and what is the like 
food that you can't eat. And then you have to like follow those rules. Uh, so that's been the experience of most women when it comes to body composition changes. And so it totally makes sense that they would bring that that thinking and those beliefs into this next experience. Um, and so then they turn it, they turn macros into the same thing where it's like, okay, I have these numbers and now I have to do whatever I have to do to hit those numbers. Because if I don't hit those numbers, then well, it's my fault. I'm the problem. I need to do better. I need to like fix it. Uh, you know, and then they end up quitting (laughs) rather than making it work for you. I always say, we want to take macros and uh, like make it work for you. You don't work for macros. That That's not mm-hmm. the goal. So I would say that is, that's probably the number one goal is it's just the way that you come into it and how you approach macro counting. Are you turning it into another diet? Are you feeling restricted? Are you telling yourself no all the time? Those are some really good questions to be asking yourself. Um, do you feel bad if like you don't hit your macros? Um, if you don't hit your macros during the day, do you stop tracking? Those are mm-hmm. all keys of like, hey, you're probably making this into a diet. And as your coach, if I was your coach, I would help. Let, let's see how we can shift that and bring this back to like, how can I use this tool and and apply it to my journey in a very unique and customized way rather than trying to have this like blanket, this is the way that everybody should should do macros. So I would say that's probably the biggest mistake um, that I see that I see people making. Yeah. And I love that you use the word scientist because scientists aren't emotionally involved yes. with their data. They're just exactly. collecting data yeah. and then taking a step back and thinking, hmm, yeah. you know, going into tomorrow, what yep. new data will I collect? You know, so it's not this heavy emotion, as exactly. you've mentioned, that comes with diet culture of, exactly. oh, I failed today, or mm-hmm. I went off my diet on Sunday. So diet starts Monday and all this mindset stuff yeah. that we have I to think, break out of. I think if we're going to talk about another mistake that a lot of people make, it would be only utilizing one data point to uh, mm. indicate whether they're making progress in their journey. And that typically is the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're very comfortable. Well, I don't know if we say comfortable, but we are very used to getting on the scale and letting that say, Hey, the scale's up. You're doing this wrong. Do better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hey, the scale's down. You're doing amazing. Keep going. Um, and just having that single data point be the one that tells us whether or not what we are doing, the actions we are taking are actually working. And as a macro scientist, I teach my clients, no, no, no. Like no scientist is only grabbing like one piece of data. They're Mm -hmm. grabbing a multitude of data points because when we plot all those data points on a chart, we're able to get a sense of the trend. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just plot one data point, you can draw a million lines through that. It could be going a million different ways. Um, But when we plot all of these data points together, progress pictures, um, measurements, flexing progress pictures, flexing measurements, non-scale victories, in addition to your scale weight, well, now once we plot all of those things out, now we have a much better idea of what's actually going on. And so if there's one takeaway for people who are listening from this, who are in some sort of fitness journey, if you are not yet taking measurements and taking progress pictures in in addition to your weight, start today, like Mm -hmm. start yesterday. But you know, if you can't start yesterday, start today with grabbing those multiple data points. And then you're exactly right. As a scientist, now we don't get emotional about those data points. We look at them as what they are, data, information, feedback, and then we manipulate and make decisions about our next steps based off of those, those data points. 
Yeah. That's so interesting because I have never owned a scale myself, but I used to belong to a gym. I used to live in New York City. So when I was there, I would weigh myself every once in a while, but I was never really attached to a scale. And then I started doing more strength training a couple months back. And I work with a lot of clients as well. And a lot of them have this same kind of attachment to the scale. So there's a scale in the gym that my husband and I use here in our building. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to kind of weigh myself more frequently and kind of see what's happening. And I'd say after about two months, I probably gained three pounds, but all of my clothes fit better. Mm -hmm. You know, I noticed such a difference in how I look when I look in the mirror. So if I were only using the scale, I would see this as a huge failure in that I've gained three pounds in two months. And what have I been... thought I started this new routine. I thought I was doing better. And that's not the case. I mean, I'm liking more how I look now and I weigh more. So the scale really would not be helpful, especially if you're strength training, which... Yeah, such a good example. And and then you would be making decisions about your future and what you were going to do based off of faulty data, like data that wasn't actually communicating what was going on. So you're flying dark. You're flying in the dark. It's like trying to find a plane in the dark. You don't have enough information. And so when you gather more pieces of information, you just are able to illuminate that map, illuminate the picture more, and make smarter decisions about your next steps. On the topic of strength training, uh, I was scrolling through some of your posts, which I love so many of them, but one of them you said, the best part about running on a treadmill is when you run past the treadmill and go lift weights instead. So (laughs) I love that because I used to be the total cardio bunny on the elliptical and treadmill. That's all I ever did in the gym. And like I said, now strength training is a new world to me and I'm just really loving it. So have you always preferred strength training or is that something you kind of adopted that January when you wanted a six pack? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and look, I, I have nothing against cardio. I think in the like fitness industry, it's really fun to like bash on cardio, uh, and, uh, kind of like look down on, on cardio, but I, I have no qualms with cardio. I've run a marathon before I've run multiple half marathons before. Um, you know, I, I do CrossFit, which a lot of people don't realize is actually a a really lot of cardio. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't have any like qualms with cardio, uh, However, I do think that most women um, uh, would do would do well to at least add strength training, add more strength training. If you're not reducing the amount of cardio you're doing, at least adding strength training to what you're doing. Um, and there's so many reasons for that. Uh, you know, yes, like health benefits, right? Building um, boned mass early, building muscle tissue early. Muscle tissue starts to, to, uh, we start to lose muscle tissue actually starting in our thirties, which is really not fair, but (laughs) science doesn't care if you think it's fair or not. Um, we start losing muscle in our thirties. And so we have to have be, be building it and then also be using it so that we can slow that, that mass loss down. But in addition to all those like health benefits that come with it, which are not small and few, um, there is such a power in doing hard things and specifically mm-hmm. in um, just picking up heavy, like heavy weights and doing things that you did not think that your body could do. There's such a power that when women shift, women especially, I, you know, I work mostly with women, men, men, this happens as well, but when women shift from focusing on what their body looks like mm-hmm. to focusing on what their body can do, which is what happens when you start switching over to must to weightlifting, 
Mm-hmm. It's like an incredible shift. And I've seen it over and over and over again in my clients, women who come to me who have never lifted weights before in their life, starting to lift white or starting to lift weights and just being shocked by that shift that comes from shifting their focus. And it stops being about, like you said, how much, how many pounds are on the scale? And it starts being about how many pounds did I put on the barbell this week? Like yeah. how, how high is my, my squat PR getting? And that mental shift, I think is one of the most valuable things that, that we can do. So to answer your question, which was, you know, have I always loved weightlifting? Um, I am very unique and I recognize that my story is unique in that when I was 14 years old, my mom took me to the weight room for the first time. My mom Hmm. was a fitness instructor and, um, she used to, I used, I, some of my earliest memories are watching her teach early morning step aerobics while I was in the childcare, like watching my mom through the window. Um, and so I had that experience. And when I turned 14, my mom was like, Hey, we can go to the weight room now. And so she took me in the weight room. So for me, it was very normalized from a young age that one weightlifting was for everyone. And that specifically women can go and lift weights. That was, Mm -hmm. I know that's not an experience that a lot of people had. So, you know, that was kind of my growing up. And then, uh, I went through a, a long phase of a lot of cardio. Um, I decided to run a marathon, uh, when I was first newly married, did half marathons. I did a lot of running during that time. Um, and then I taught group fitness classes. I taught a lot of cardio group fitness classes. I taught Zumba. I taught body combat. Um, so definitely still like a lot of cardio. And what a part of the story that I didn't tell previously of when I set my um, my goal to get a six pack was, you know, I manipulated my nutrition and um, was able to accomplish that goal and get a six pack. But I realized very quickly that even though I had been quote unquote, like lifting, um, like I taught body pump and things like that for eight years, I had not really built an appreciable amount of muscle. Hmm. And that was because my training wasn't actually set up to build muscle. Um, and, and so at that point I recognized that like what I was doing wasn't, wasn't actually getting me the body that I wanted. It wasn't actually building the muscle that I wanted. And I realized if I wanted to build more muscle, I had to do something different. And, um, it was about that time that I started slowing down my teaching so that I could start lifting outside of my classes and, um, and actually focusing on, on building muscle. I had, I'd gotten lean. Mm -hmm. That's great. But what most people don't realize is that you cannot cut fat to muscle that is not there. So a lot of people think that they just need to lose fat. They're like, if I just lose fat, then I would look so much better. And then even if they do lose that fat, they recognize that there's not a whole lot of muscle there to like see. And that was the experience that I had. And I realized that I needed to like take the time to actually build the muscle. And that's done through strength training. Um, and so I, I kind of slowed down on teaching group fitness, slowed down on, on teaching, um, all those cardio classes and really focused on hypertrophy training in the gym and, and lifting heavy and, um, was able to build a surprising, in my mind, amount of muscle in six months hmm. doing that and aligning my nutrition. Like getting those two pieces aligned, uh, I built an incredible amount of muscle in just in just six months um, aligning those things. Do you find with your clients and you know everybody you've uh, taught in fitness classes, do you think that women especially, and men too, I guess, are drawn to cardio because – maybe you feel more of sort of, 
immediate gratification after a run and with strength training, it takes a lot longer to feel that. Yeah. I think there's a couple things. I think the first thing is it's easy. Uh There's not really any technique to getting on a treadmill, right? It's like, it's super easy and comfortable to get on a cardio machine. Mm-hmm. And it, for a lot of women, it's not super easy and comfortable to walk over to the weight, the weight rack. Yeah. <laughs> and there's sure. a whole, like, it's just more intimidating. So I think that's one thing. Um, and then two, I think that we have been taught and, you know, us, especially who were raised in like the eighties and nineties, we were, I, I, I personally like heard a lot about calories <laughs> in mm-hmm. the eighties and nineties and like eating calories. And then we learned that like cardio, like burned calories. And Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of us have been raised with this idea that like the more calories that are burned in a session, the better the session is. Mm -hmm. And so we look on that cardio machine and we're like, well, I can run for an hour and burn 600 calories, or I can go lift weights and burn like 150 calories. That's a no brainer. Like (laughs) the, the, the treadmill should win. Right. Mm -hmm. What we don't recognize is that you're taking just a snapshot of your day and the payoff for building muscle is that as you build muscle, your met- your metabolic rate, the whole entire mm-hmm. day increases. Right. So yeah, maybe you only burned 150 calories during that workout session, but now that you've put on a pound of muscle, now you're burning 150 calories more per hour, you know, mm-hmm. or like per day. And that compound effect of it over time makes it much more metabolically active, makes you burn way more calories just having muscle mass on your body, doing activities of daily living than you do if you, if you just get on a cardio machine. And so I think we we're looking at the wrong numbers. We're looking at the amount of calories that are burned in that one session and comparing Mm -hmm. them rather than looking at the amount of calories that we are burning over the whole day, the whole week, the whole month, and how much that increases as you gain more muscle mass. I started to think of it in the same way that we invest our money like your money's exactly. working for you when yes. you're sleeping in the same way when you add more muscle to your body, your body, your metabolism's working for you, even when you're watching TV or when you're sleeping. Exactly. Yeah. That, that was a cool, you know, it's any mind shift that will work, right? <laughs> anything that gets you in the gym or That's lifting right. the weights, anything right. that works. You also did a really interesting post on maintainable versus attainable weight. And I loved that. And I'm so glad you spoke to that. And I was wondering if you could just elaborate more on what you meant here. Yeah, that's, it's, it's such a good topic and one that I is not talked about enough. Right. Um, so, and it's, it's easy to understand this topic when we start talking about extremes. So when we start talking about, let's say like a bodybuilding competition or a fitness competition where people have to get super, super, super lean in order to show off the muscles that they have. Like that's essentially what you're doing when you're doing a fitness competition. It's about how much muscle mass do you have? And in order to show that you got to get super lean to be able to, to show that. Um, but those competitors, if you don't know anything about fitness competing, 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 mm-hmm. um, they will, you know, they'll work, they'll diet for 20, 30 weeks in order to get extremely lean for that, like one day. And they will peak it's actually called peak week is the week before us fitness competitors steps on the stage and they're peaking in every way to like create that package that you see on that, on that day. Um, and that's their peak mm-hmm. and the, everybody recognizes that they, you cannot maintain a peak, right? You right. peak and then you, you have to come down from the peak. Um, you can't stay up at the peak. It's like Mount Everest, right? You can't, you can summit, but nobody lives up at the top of Mount Everest. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason for that. 
Um, nobody lives at their peak. And so there's no fitness competitor that will peak and then maintain that. Uh, they can get there for a day and then they will inevitably have to gain more weight to be able to have a weight that they can actually like live at long-term. And so that's a very extreme case, but it, it, it shares this point in a way that's really easy to see that you're the same way. Like there is likely a weight that you can achieve Mm -hmm. that like you can get to. And it's likely not the same weight that is going to be easily maintainable for you. Like you Mm -hmm. could stay there if you like thought about it all day long and worked really hard and like everything was about you staying at that weight. Maybe you could stay at that weight. Uh-huh. But if you wanted to like, you know, I don't know, think about other things during the day, do other <laughs> things like, you know, eat at your kid's birthday party, not always go to the gym every single time. Um, there's probably, it's probably going to be a weight that's a little bit higher uh-huh. and yet it's going to be a weight that's going to be easily maintainable, that you're not going to have to put so much time and effort into it. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather maintain at a weight that is, I don't know, five pounds higher than my lowest weight and actually like my life and actually enjoy my life, uh, than to weigh five pounds less and have every waking moment be about what am I eating? When's my, when's the gym? Like, and, and that's how fitness competitors get. If you talk to them, like that's how they get is like literally every single day moment of their day is built around their training. It's built around their food. It's built around like this goal and you can do that for a while, but not long-term. So, you know, the takeaway hopefully for anybody who's listening is recognizing that there's a difference, just like tell, like recognizing that there's a difference and that just because you can see a weight on the scale and you can see it flash up once, doesn't necessarily mean that's the weight that's going to be easily maintainable for you. And, and recognizing that those are two different things and asking yourself the question, you know, what's most important to me? Is it yeah. more important to me to be five pounds lighter and have to spend all of my energy in maintaining that? Or would I rather be, you know, five pounds heavier and not have to think about it all day long? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always say, or not always, but I'll just be thinking, you know, if I gave up wine and nachos at happy hour and different things. I could probably weigh yeah. five to 10 pounds less, but that is not something I'm interested in. <laughs> yes. So yes. I'm perfectly happy at exactly. the weight I am. And, you know, I feel very healthy and, uh, especially now that I've gotten stronger, um, you know, I think I feel great. And so I think that's really one of the takeaways you're also saying is like, do you feel mm-hmm. your best? And once you hit that point where you feel your best, it may not be you may think that you need to be even a lower weight to feel your best. And then you may surprise yourself if Mm -hmm. you realize I actually feel my best right now. I don't need to lose that extra 10 pounds that I thought I needed to and go to these extremes. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a, I mean, there's a lot of mental work that comes down to um, your fitness journey as well. But like, if, if you think that you would like to lose five pounds, um, is that coming from, do you really think that you will feel better, uh, mm-hmm. at that, that lower weight? Or do you just think that you would think that you would feel better or that mm-hmm. you would tell yourself that you would feel better? Because I see it all the time. Women are like, I want to lose the last five pounds. And then they do. And they recognize that them hating their body or not being happy with themselves or feeling like they weren't enough or they're not worthy isn't solved by just losing the five pounds. Um, and so, what is that motivation? Is that motivation feeling like, okay, well, when I lose five pounds, I'll be worthy at that point. I mm. let's work on the worthiness now, right? Yeah, Cause that's not going right. to magically change when, when you lose those five pounds. 
Right. Well, I'm so grateful for all of the knowledge you've shared. Um, The final question I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? So when I think of an investment, I always think about an ROI, so a return Mm -hmm. return on investment. Um, You know, we don't ever invest in anything that we think is going to like go down in value. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's the whole point of like making an investment is like you, you make some sacrifice right now because in the long term you know, it's going to pay off. And that's what I think about when it, when it, in terms of health is like the time that I spend in the gym now, the time I spend focusing on eating healthy now is yes for today. And it's for 40 years from now. Um, Mm -hmm. the muscle mass that I build today is the muscle mass that I'm going to be using 40 years from now when I go to try to get on a toilet, um, Mm -hmm. when I try to like get up out of my bed. And so the investment and time and energy and effort that I'm making right now is for today. And it's really for, for that long run. And when we start to look at it, that it, that way, um, the, the payoff is more right. It's not, yeah, you lose, I don't know, an hour of sleep today, but in the long run, what are you gaining uh, from from that experience? And to me, that's what I think of when I think of the health investment. Yeah. No one's ever used that exact term ROI before for that question. So I appreciate that. I like that. Go. I'm not a math person or a financial person at all, but I do like thinking in terms of health and money sometimes because I think it can really oh, lend itself. Of, yeah. There's lots of analogies there. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'd love if you could also share where listeners can follow and find you and if you could share a bit more about your Macros 101 course. Of course. Um, I mean, if you're listening to a podcast, I have to imagine you listen to podcasts. Um, That's probably (laughs) one of the best places to find me. Uh, Biceps After Babies Radio is is my podcast. And I was telling Brooke before we hit record, I was like, all these questions are really great, but I literally could do a podcast episode about every single one of these questions. Uh, (laughs) And I have done a lot of podcasts on a lot of these questions. So if you're like, oh, that was really good. I really want to hear more. (laughs) Go, there's probably a podcast on it. Uh, Go listen to the podcast. Um, And then Instagram is probably my, my social media platform of choice. I'm just biceps after babies over there. And, um, you know, Macros 101 is my signature coaching program. It it is where I help coach clients to be able to take the tool of macro counting and uniquely apply it to you. Uh, So, you know, one of the things you were talking about at the end, Brooke, was like, is it, is my, the lifestyle I want to create, is it worth it in order to hit the goals that I want? And so that's a question I help my clients to answer is we create a customized program. I teach you how to become the scientist in creating a customized program that fits your body, uh, your goals and your lifestyle. And that lifestyle piece is, is very unique for what, you know, we're all willing to do. So that's what I do with my clients inside of Macros 101. We have a, we have a good time. We have lots of breakthroughs and, um, you can check out all the information. Just come go to my Instagram account. I'm sure it'll be there somewhere. Awesome. I love how streamlined it is. It's Instagram, biceps after babies, radio, same title of both. Love that. Keep it easy. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. You're the first person so far on the podcast to really address the topic of macro counting. So I know that, yeah, listeners are going to find this super interesting and I just look forward to staying connected and thanks again, Amber. Thanks so much, Brooke. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the health investment podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. 
All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.